What's going on everybody? Glenn P. Brooks Jr. here. I'm an author, I'm a speaker, and I'm a coach. And I wanna welcome you to We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I get the opportunity to add value to entrepreneurs, business owners, and ministry leaders, both on and offline. And this episode is gonna be no different. Stick around and we're gonna get started right now. Well, I'd like to welcome you all back for another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. I'm Glenn P. Brooks Jr. Super excited to be back with you guys on this live recording. It's actually the first uh, broadcast that we're recording as we have now moved our studios from the U.S. to Panama City, Panama. So this is a first for me. I'm really, really excited. And I'm even more excited about our next guest. You guys know that we talk about the story behind the brand. One of the things that I believe to be super important is what's informed how people show up. Oftentimes, you guys will see great brands that are making significant impact, and you really don't understand the story of how they actually got there. And what I've discovered, guys, is that oftentimes what happens along the way informs greatly the way people present. Um, it's my pleasure to have Don Schmincke um, on today, and I may butcher your name just a little bit, brother, but I'm going to keep it going until I get it right. I, I'm not afraid to do that. But Don, I appreciate you, man. Welcome to We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. <laughs> So, Don, real quick, I want to get your uh, perspective right away. If people need to understand your journey to where you are coaching CEOs um, was an extraordinary and very different journey. Uh, most academics uh, do not want to talk to CEOs at all <laughs> in this respect. Uh, and, the, and, and quite frankly, it's because many of us are cut from very different cloths. Our brains work very differently. And you are now challenging CEOs through some of the programs and some of the things you've done. And I mean, you have done talks for some of the major, major networks and different people, different organizations. Can you kind of back up a little bit, introduce yourself in the sense of, you know, who are you? What do you do? Why do you do it? And who's your target client? Who do you do this for? Let's talk, and then we're going to get into the story behind your brand and help people understand because of how you sort of trafficked to this place, this is how you now show up. Come on, talk to us. Uh, I'm an explorer, uh, a writer. I, my background's in science. So I came up through uh, academia, but uh, through a series of events, ended up coaching CEOs. And so I, I coach about 700 a year, and I've been doing this in... Maybe 2,000 times, they tell me. <laughs> I've done about 2,000 training workshops for CEOs. But the approach that we work with is a different way of leading and developing uh, our potential based on uh, anthropology and, and genetics and some of the interesting things about our, our, ourselves as a species. Uh, so today I, I do a lot of speaking and I work with companies to help grow them faster. You know, Don, one of the things that I know is challenging, particularly for many CEOs, and just so that you understand, this audience is made up of a couple of different kinds of entrepreneurs. Um, some of them um, are CEOs in terms of working with multiple people, multiple teams and things like that, uh, both in the profit, nonprofit space as well. And then you have these on entrepreneurs in this community who are doing it by themselves. They have not, in fact, built a team's to be able to level up. And then you have those who are still in their nine to fives and they're working their nine to fives while building a business and making the job. What do you find in CEOs that make the best 
CEOs in terms of leading an organization in a healthy way? That's a good question because I've got, I, I just uh, spent a lot of time on this research for this book I got coming out next month for entrepreneurs, and it's called Winners and Losers. And the, um, what I think the best CEOs do well is they know how to lose powerfully. And we don't teach losing. We teach, hey, how to win. Got to do this to be a winner. Got to do that to be a winner. And when I went through and did the, uh, the, uh, the background uh, analysis of some of the most successful CEOs and entrepreneurs, their background was littered with mistakes and failures and miscalculations and uh, bad assumptions. <laughs> and it was how they were in the, in the face of loss that made them great entrepreneurs. And so the book is really kind of flipping the whole, um, the whole attitude or, and approach to developing entrepreneurs and leadership. So I think that's, uh, that's a good uh, quality to have as a CEO. Listen, that's funny, Don, because a lot of people are not willing to lean in to this idea of failure at all. Um, I have told people on many occasions that one of the reasons it took me so long to become an entrepreneur, I just started our business eight years ago and it grew exponentially. And part of it is, I think it's because I got a chance to fail with other businesses first. And so mm-hmm. out of what a lot of people did wrong, I said, that won't work. That won't work. Maybe I should try it this way. And it has, it really has benefited me in a lot of ways. What do you think is the elephant in the room that makes people not want to lean into failure? And, and I'm going to give it with this caveat. As parents, we often will celebrate the successes of our students' grades but we won't lean into giving them big ups for failing something early to know that that's not something they should even be doing. And that paradigm is some is a shift that many of us won't make. What causes uh, people not to want to make that shift? I think we're raised to be right, <laughs> to have the right answer, you know, to do the right things and we get rewarded. And, and there's a, there's a place for that because, of course, we want to know how to do things right. So that's how we learn. But we don't um, we don't use the mistakes. I think as the way a way to say, "Great, what do we learn from that, and what can we do differently?" And I found that the the greatest entrepreneurs were the ones that knew how to fail. You know, I call it how to lose powerfully. <laughs> and so maybe maybe losing power is the way to go versus trying to find power. <laughs> Listen, Don, that, that, that's hilarious because <laughs> when you think about it, because there's a freedom in losing, it takes the, Bert, I think about sports franchises who have remarkable winning streaks and there's this pompous attitude, this invincible thing that they've got going on that they feel like they're indestructible and it's that one loss that kind of brings them back down to reality and says, dude, you guys are human. You can lose. And in, in this case, uh, it, losing powerfully is important. Can you unpack that thought a little bit about the idea? I, I love the adjective losing powerfully. Come on, talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's, well, for entrepreneurs, it's kind of a different, um, as I was going into this research, I found like, okay, there's a lot of uh, themes out there like uh, fail fast and, you know, th- but th- those are, those are designed to think around innovation and 
uh, high tech companies and let's fail fast and learn, et cetera. But for an entrepreneur, it's different. It's not like, hey, we're going to have a team meeting and process what went wrong in that project. No, it's about I could lose my house. I might get divorced. You know, I don't see my kids. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in debt. I'm, you know, it's, it's a totally different experience than having a team meeting saying, well, that project didn't work. What did we learn from it? So I think entrepreneurs have a special uh, character uh, that's not common. And uh, so, so and in, in the book, it was really great trying to do the research to find out what that character is. But I think um, gr- great CEOs and, and entrepreneurs have a capacity for handling risk that average people cannot handle. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Bro, Don, that's funny. My wife um, is my business partner. And I, um, she is more of a calculated risk taker. I'm the kind of guy that will jump at stuff without even thinking about it. Like it feels good. We should do this. And her whole idea of, yeah, we're going to take a risk, but because we could lose our house, we need to mitigate all these and and figure out what's the pathway (laughs) to to doing what you want to do, but but we can't lose our house in the meantime, bro. Don, when it comes to some of the CEOs that you've worked with, um, you have a program and a way that you teach people through unconventional methods. Can you kind of unpack some of those methods and why are they becoming so effective, uh, particularly with modern world CEOs and the way we've grown up here in the last decade or two? Um, how how has, is that informing our world in that regard? Well, the, the, the models we went into, because when I, was at, when, I, um, when I left MIT and I ended up going to Johns Hopkins to finish, uh, do some graduate work, I ended up teaching there. I, I got attached to the um, executive education program, the MBA program. So I ran into a lot of um, up-and-coming uh, people that were developing their careers. and But I started hearing complaints about the failure rates of management theory. And I thought this was interesting because um, then I was asked to see if, if this could be biological. <laughs> so I started an entirely new area of research to see if management theory failure could be biological and ended up uncovering uh, an amazing amount of, of insight and research and, and really evidence-based uh, models that I thought we need to be teaching these again. But to get to your point, one of the things we noticed is that we have a lot of, we have a lot of uh, problems that we found. Well, it's interesting. I did this book with Chris Warner called High Altitude Leadership. He was one of the top climbers in the world, and I was climbing with him in the Andes when all of a sudden we decided to do this book together. Um, and we, and with NBC, we did this thing called high altitude leadership, uh, when he took on K2, which is the most dangerous mountain in the world, when he's pulling dead bodies off of mountains, uh, they're clutching their tools. And I said, Chris, when I do the autopsies of dead companies, they're clutching their tools too. I think we got a problem with tool seduction and tool seduction is because we think they're going to save us. You know, we buy all the best selling books. We bring in all the best software. We do this, we do that. And then the company dies. And what I realized in the management theory failure, we, we publish 30-some thousand books a year on business. And, and they're great tools. They're great books. Uh, well, most of them. <laughs> but we're missing altering our behavior and the decisions we make. And I found out what was missing with that is we're not altering our beliefs. So we're piling tools on our problems, but we're not shifting our beliefs 
about those problems. And so we began to look at how can we transform companies by altering the beliefs of the company that alters the decision capacity of the organization. Listen, Don, I cannot speed past all of what you just said. And I've got to slow you down, my friend. We have a, a person who is listening to us live. His name's Dominic Edmond. He's a publisher. And he just said, this guy said he does autopsies on dead businesses. <laughs> we can't yes. miss that. So, so I wrote down clutching their tools. So are you submitting that we as practitioners are putting entirely too much confidence in tools that we've learned and it's removing the human element. Unpack that a little bit because because that flies in the face of modern thought. You know, you'd think, you're thinking, no, this is, it should have worked, but it didn't. And I've had tools that helped me build this. But in this right, instance, right. it it didn't work. Talk to us a little bit about that. Help people out. <laughs> well, Well, when we found so many companies that, had all the tools, you know, uh, but they were dead. We were curious as to why that happened. You know, they did all the best practices. They, they hired all the top consultants. They had all the best training and they still died. And so what we began to notice is that uh, from these autopsies that the, what was missing was that it didn't matter how many, how many tools they threw at the problem. It didn't all their alter their behavior it didn't alter their decision capacity, how they decided, what they did. And the whole reason we found out from that, and this is what the anthropologist on our team was able to lead me to, is it didn't alter their beliefs. They were still believing the same thing they were believing before. And so it wasn't throwing more and different tools at it. It was really uh, shifting to a different belief pattern because then you can go back to those tools and use them differently. You see, because does it make sense? <laughs> Listen, you're making too much sense. I'm, I'm, I'm having to slow myself down because I'm probably more excited than anybody. I'm grateful I get to interview you because now my brain is just running with questions. When you talk about that, Don, I, I realize, and we were talking about this on the show prior to you coming on this morning, and that is I read a book years ago um, called Change or Die. And it was because I was going through some things and I needed to make adjustments. I've never been a person that enjoyed change. It's one of the reasons why I didn't want to become an entrepreneur. Because of the of the, the adjustments on a regular basis that had to happen if you were going to be successful. But when I realized that it was about me changing my behavior, not what I did, but why I was doing it, that's when something unlocked. Can you lean into a little bit about behavioral change. This is fundamentally difficult for most human beings to just wrap their minds around, A, the need to, because we think we're right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and, and then the how to. So in your research and some of the work you do with some of the CEOs and companies you've helped to, help to turn around, how would you begin to walk people through just thinking around the idea of here is some ways you can approach changing your behavior so that you can get a different outcome? The first way that I found was really essential was to alter our beliefs around strategy. Because, you know, you're developing a business, you're growing a business, you're trying to take it to the next level. And I found that in the autopsies, most companies had a strategic plan. But when I opened it up, it wasn't strategic. 
And that was one of the big misses. Uh, it was really tactical. It was a tactical plan. You know, in, in other words, it had everything about, oh, what are our goals, our budgets, our, you know, timelines and all this other stuff. And, and, um, and it's all great. You know, we, we have a goal. We want to double our size in three years. Okay, fine. But so what? You know what I mean? It's, it's, it was how, what does winning mean to you? And how are you going to do it? In other words, what are your beliefs around your, your market segmentation? But like we use a lot of ancient models because we do have a lot of, we, I'd like to validate these models in two areas. One is medical research on us as a species. But the second is, has it worked for several thousand years? If I can say yes to those two things, we got something that'll work. <laughs> and one of the things we use is military analogies because it's so well documented throughout history. And in the military analogies, what I found is that the, um, the elements of uh, strategy were contained in what they were telling us, which is really simple. It was so, so simple. I thought, why didn't we see this before? Where's your battlefield tomorrow? Who's the enemy there? And how are you going to win? I mean, it's, it's really those simple things. When we look at the battlefield, I don't think businesses change their beliefs around why are we segmenting our industry this way? And maybe we should segment it differently. And in those segments, choose those areas we can win. I find a lot of businesses are fighting battles they should be withdrawing from. They should not be fighting those battles. And, and in business school, we don't teach about how to withdraw from battle. It's, a, it's missing. And so, you know, unless you're in military training, you just don't know this training, right? How to withdraw from battle. So I, when I train CEOs, and I, I train about 700 a year, it's just they raise their hand like, yeah, we are fighting battles. We should have stopped a long time ago. Don, the, Don, the, you, Don, I got it. You are talking too fast, sir. See, okay. so you have to understand, we, many of us are not nearly as quick as you think we are. So I just need you <laughs> to just pump the brakes, brother. Let me say this. As a veteran in the United States Army, I was a combat engineer. And one thing that I never will forget is that there was a thought that said, mission first, people always. Mm -hmm. And the thought was, we got to stay on task with the mission because the people, meaning the enemy, you're going to always have. That's going to always. So you got to be laser focused on what are we doing? Why are we doing it? And how do we win? Yeah. Yep, because that battlefield, choosing where you fight matters. Yes. Because many yes. of us as CEOs are choosing to fight a battle that it is going to deliver us a loss, not if, but when. We're, yep. we're going to lose that battle. We just don't know it because we've not strategically chose the right battle or even battlefield. Man, I, I could just, oh, my God, please continue, sir. I'm just, <laughs> I'm geeking here. I'm so sorry. No, no, it's, it's great. And, and the fact that you have that background helps you realize uh, in a high-stakes game, that's very important. But for entrepreneurs, I think it's also that critical area. Like, where are we going? Because there's certain areas, I'm like, look, you want to focus on targets where you have profit, where there's growth, and you have a competitive advantage. Those are three very good indicators that you're on the right path. But if you feel like the growth isn't there, maybe the market's slowing or it's flattening or you can't identify your competitive advantage or the margins aren't high enough, it's time to step back and say, why are we fighting this battle? And can we shift? Can we go somewhere to a different uh, area of the landscape, the market landscape, to win? So that's, that's usually the first 
question I want to lead people through, because once they get that, then they can look at, okay, who's their enemy? And, and a lot of times people think, well, we need to do a SWOT analysis. I'm like, no, SWOT's a tactical device. Do not do that for strategy because it's going to change depending on the battlefield you choose. You could have a great SWOT analysis for your upcoming tank battle, but if you chose submarine warfare, you just wasted all your time because tanks sink. You know, <laughs> so you know we want to start with this. This is where it begins. Man, I have to do a part two. This this has to be you. You must come back and you must honor us with a part two. I'm I'm shooting my shot. <laughs> Don, I'm, I'm shooting my shot, brother. For those of you guys who are just tuning in. Um, Don is an amazing thinker, CEO, trainer, and some of the wisdom that he's dropping resonates with so many of you all. If you're listening to us live, I want you to put it in the chat. What are your takeaways really quickly? Because after we finish the recording, uh, hopefully we're going to keep Don around to just maybe ask some very specific questions uh, so that we can get to what it is you guys are thinking about. Don, before we close, you said SWAT is tactical, mm-hmm. and you keep talking about most of us approaching things not in a strategic way, but a tactical way. Can right. you break down just the, the glaring differences between strategy and tactical? Like, I don't think people really grasp those two concepts that way. Yeah, it's a, strategy is, is, a, is a time perspective of three to five years out. And how are we gonna, how are we gonna outmaneuver the forces against us to win three to five years out? Tactical, I find, is more around what's, what are we doing this year? What's this year's budget, this year's goals, the, the metrics for success this year? And I think what happens is we get seduced by focusing on this year and we forget that, like, wait a minute, what we're doing this year should be creating our success three years, four years, five years out. And so that's the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm just so sorry that we're running out of time here. Um, Don, you have been not only a breath of fresh air, my friend, but I'm just grateful that (laughs) the stars aligned for us to cross paths today. You have no idea, um, and I'm just going to make this personal for one quick second. Cherie and I moved to Panama City, Panama, uh, three weeks ago, and we are here as expats in a brand-new environment and one of the reasons why we moved here was for a strategic move to do business on a global stage. Mm. And the reason why we knew we had to do something like this was twofold. One, uh, my wife's peace of mind and ability to think was becoming more and more challenged in the environment that we were in in the U.S. Yeah. So she needed to be in a space and a place environmentally where she could think. And she could be stress-free in that regard. When we came here and we visited back in January for our anniversary, we decided after some research, because we had researched several places, this one of them, for about three years. What would we do? What would that look like? Where would we go? Why? And when we got here, she didn't want to go home. So at that particular point, I realized, bro, we got a winner here. Well, I can tell you right now, today, today, after this call, we will be spending the rest of the day strategizing what the next three to five years look like and tactically attacking what the rest of this year will look like as we yeah. finish strong. 
Man, you have breathed new life into me today. I'm sure you have that for our listeners and our viewers. Can you tell people a little bit about where they can get in touch with you if they want to work with you on any level as this podcast goes out? Please tell people how they can get a hold of you. Sure. The uh, The website that we're trying to focus on, uh, putting everything into it, is uh, sagaleadership.com. That's the, like the, the Viking term saga, S-A-G-A, leadership.com. And there, you know, there's a, I'm starting a blog, which is interesting. In fact, you will love it. It's, it's myth busting. Had a myth bust management theory. And uh, so I'm just getting started on that. But yeah, I'm trying to play on that website. So that's a good place to reach out. Brother, I was up at three o'clock this morning reading through your blogs. So I'm telling oh. you, I'm tired for a very good reason, sir. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Don, pronounce your last name for me one more time because I'm going to get it right. Sure. Schminka. 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 Yeah. Schminka. Ladies and gentlemen, my new, listen, my new friend, not y'all's, Don Schminka, appreciate you for being here, my brother. And uh, if you stick around a little bit, we got some live questions we want to ask you from the audience, perhaps. And uh, for all of you guys who are listening by way of the podcast, hopefully you'll tune in next time. And at some point up the road, we hope to have a part two to this and we'll get into some nuts and bolts. Because here's what we know to be true. You cannot get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. And we'll see you on the next podcast. Well, I'd like to thank you guys for joining us once again for another edition of We All Need Some Help Wednesday, the podcast. Uh, Be sure to download this, and if you need to connect to us any kind of way, uh, you can reach us at www.glennpbrooksjr.com. At the end of the day, y'all already know what time it is. You cannot get to any place of significance by yourself because we all need some help. Y'all be good, and we'll talk soon.